These are the Greek Myth Files, your entree into the world of Greek myth in a smart but accessible way. They are brought to you by the Classics Program at the University of New Hampshire and its crack team of undergraduates. I'm your host, Professor Scott Smith. In today's episode, we will continue to explore the ideas of death and suffering by considering one of the most important and well-known myths of antiquity, the myth of the abduction of Persephone, which concerns motherhood, loss, and grief. The focus of this story is Persephone's mother Demeter, goddess of grain and agriculture, as she searches for her daughter. But we will also spend some time on the establishment of her ritual cult in the ancient city of Eleusis, one of the most important in antiquity. The earliest and most important source for this myth is the Homeric Hymn to Demeter, written roughly around the 7th century BCE. It's not by Homer, famously credited with writing the Iliad and the Odyssey, but these hymns were considered Homeric by the Greeks, mainly because their language, poetry, and style resemble that of Homer's great epic poems. In the hymn, the goddess Demeter represents a mother figure facing loss, which is followed by an attempt to replace her lost child, and finally by her angry response when it all goes wrong. All of this leads up to the establishment of the most important religious ceremony involving Demeter, the Eleusinian Mysteries. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the story, we will briefly summarize Demeter's travails and highlight several points of interest that we will return to over the course of our discussion, the violation of women, a mother's despair, and the establishment of cult rites. Our story begins with the young goddess Persephone out in a field picking flowers. She was the daughter of Demeter, and she was simply enjoying the beauty of the earth and all it has to offer when she caught the eye of the god Hades, who, after receiving permission from Zeus, rose from the earth, seized the young goddess, and brought her down into the underworld. As a side note, while we're not going to focus on this in today's episode, the violation of a woman's person by a male god was typical and common, and probably represented, at some distance, the rite of marriage in ancient Greece, which could be a harrowing experience for a girl of 13 or so, the typical age for a woman to marry. In this case, the story strikes against our sensibilities even more. Hades, the abductor, was Persephone's uncle, and Zeus was her father. But for now, back to our story. Unaware that her brothers had made this deal, and uncertain as to where her daughter went, Demeter searched the far reaches of the earth. No one knew what had happened or where Persephone had gone except for two gods, the goddess Hecate and the god Helios, the sun, who sees all. They revealed to the goddess that Hades had abducted her. Cloaked in grief and enraged at Zeus, Demeter abandoned Olympus and the gods, and took the appearance of an elderly woman in the mortal world. Wandering, she found herself near a well outside the city of Eleusis and sat down on its edge. It is here that the daughters of Chelios, the city's king, found her, and they brought her back to their home, having kindness in their hearts, in part to help raise the child of the queen, who had recently given birth late in life. In the household, no one was aware that they were in the presence of a goddess, and the family made Demeter the wet nurse to the youngest of the children, a baby boy named Demophone. Because she had lost her own child, Demeter took the task of raising a new child to heart, but the goddess had other ideas. She would try to make him immortal. To do so, each night she laid him in the embers of the fireplace to burn off the mortal flesh in an attempt to make him immortal. But her wish never came to fruition. When the lady of the house, the mother, happened upon the sight of her one and only son being placed among the flames, she screamed, as one might expect. Startled by the unwelcome interruption, Demeter flew into a fit of anger worthy of a god, shedding her elderly disguise and returning to her divine form, 
and she laid a curse upon the land of Eleusis. But that is not all. In order to appease her godliness, she instructed the Eleusinians to erect a temple and altar in her honor, and she prescribed religious rites to be followed at the site. Demeter sunk deeper into despair. She withdrew from her godly duties. No crops, no grain on earth grew, and no plant gave forth even a seed sprout. With humanity on the brink of starvation, Zeus came to and tried to bargain with Demeter. In exchange for her daughter, Demeter was willing to bestow again prosperity and fertility on the land. Having no other option, Zeus appealed to Hades for Persephone's return. And in the end, Demeter is reunited with her daughter, but with conditions attached. Persephone must spend a third of the year in the underworld. Once her daughter was returned, Demeter restored crops to the earth. Women have spent a large part of history as a minority, with little power and few options, and it wasn't until the 20th century that things changed significantly. In the ancient world, women had few rights, and in Athens, Athenian women were not even considered citizens. They spent their time maintaining the household and bringing up the children. Spartan mothers were famously known to tell their sons to come back with your shield or on it, giving us the idea that what was truly important in the ancient world was war and having male children who could fight in it. Now, although women did not have political or social rights, motherhood was an important part of their lives and was held in high esteem. Goddesses, too, often reflected the values the Greeks held in real life. Demeter, who is the central figure of this podcast, represents in many ways the figure of the grieving mother facing loss and sadness. As any mother would be expected to do, she refused to give up the search for her daughter. She wept and refused comfort until her daughter was returned. To Greek women, she must have come to represent how all mothers might react to the loss of a child. When she finds out the truth about her daughter's disappearance, that Persephone was given in marriage to Hades, lord of the underworld, against her will or knowledge, Demeter turns away from the gods and casts away her godly appearance for that of an old woman. Vanity and appearance seem not to matter to Demeter, who in grief cannot imagine herself in her whole godly form. Goddesses, like humans, feel deeply the loss of a child. Women filled with grief over the death of a child are common in ancient myth. Just from the Iliad alone, we see two vivid portraits of grieving mothers. Thetis, the mother of the famous Greek hero Achilles, deeply mourned his imminent death, and Hecuba grieved over the death of her son Hector. Niobe, too, who lost not one but fourteen children, was so distraught that the gods pitied her and turned her into a weeping rock. These women's roles are mainly to weep and grieve over the loss of their children. After all, they had spent their lives raising their children, and their loss manifests a great sadness in them. Demeter, for her part, descends to the mortal realm where she plans to remain, abandoning her godly duties to spend the rest of her days lamenting her daughter. It is when she arrives in Eleusis that we see the goddess of the harvest attempt to fill the void in her broken heart with another child, when the queen of the small city asks the divine mother to rear her infant son. Demeter of the fair garland answered her again, and may you too, lady, farewell, and the gods give you all things good. Gladly will I receive your child as you bid me. I will raise him, and never, I think, by the folly of his nurse shall charm or sorcery harm him. For I know an antidote stronger than the wild wood herb, and a fine salve for poison spells. So spoke she. 
And with her immortal hands, she placed the child on her fragrant breast, and the mother was glad at heart. So in the halls she nursed the fine son of wise Kilios, Demophon, whom fair-girtled Metanira bore, and he grew like a god, upon no mortal food nor on mother's milk, for during the day, fair-garlanded Demeter anointed him with ambrosia as though he had been a son of a god, breathing sweetness over him and keeping him on her lap. So wrought she by day, but at night she was wont to hide him in the force of fire like a brand, his dear parents knowing it not. Demeter yearns to embrace this child as her own and rear him as a god, anointing him with immortality and godly strength, a desperate attempt to replace her own young daughter, who was stolen from her by the divine powers of male gods. Her sorrows disappear for just a short while caring for another child, and distracts her from thinking about her own. Whereas she was powerless as Zeus gave away their daughter without a word, she was determined not to let the same fate happen to Demophone, who was immortal and was destined to die at some age, be it from war, disease, or old age. But she was not his natural mother, and one can simply imagine the surprise, the terror that the biological mother, the wide-girdled Metanira, must have felt when she came to find her only son in the fireplace among the flames. One of the repeated themes in Greek myth is the inability of humans to understand the real plans of the gods. And in this case, Metanira could not have divined that the old woman, the stranger that they had brought into their house, was a goddess. In her human ignorance, Metanira could only surmise that her child was being murdered and not being made into a god. And so the goddess Demeter was once again foiled, losing a child for the second time. Oh, helpless and uncounseled race of men, who know not beforehand the fate of coming good or coming evil. For, behold, you have wrought upon yourself a bane incurable by your own witlessness. For by the oath of the gods, the relentless water of Styx, I would have made your dear child deathless and exempt from age forever, and would have given him glory imperishable. But now in no way may he escape the Moirai and death yet glory imperishable will ever be his, since he has lain on my knees and slept within my arms. But as the years go round, the sons of the Eleusinians will ever wage war and dreadful strife, one upon the other. I am the honored Demeter, the greatest good and gain to the immortals and mortal men. Demeter was now without child again. An outside force had taken both children away from her. The wound reopened, she moved on, and let the grief consume her. She abandoned everything, the crops didn't grow, and the earth was dull and desperate. With this kind of suffering, the mortals had nothing to eat, dying off, confused as to why the gods were punishing them. This, in turn, caused the gods' suffering, for they no longer received the honors and sacrifices from mortals as they had in the past. It is this that finally caused Zeus to try and appease the forlorn goddess but no amount of flattery or honors offered to the goddess worked. There was only one thing she wanted. After losing someone dear, what more could one want than to have that person back? So that's what Demeter wanted, her daughter, back, and Zeus reluctantly agreed. So the king of the gods went to Hades and told him to return the girl, so long as she hadn't eaten anything while there. In her own grief, however, Persephone had refused food as well, except just a few pomegranate seeds but those seeds sealed her fate. While she was able to return home to her mother, 
she was required to spend a third of each year in the underworld because of those pomegranate seeds. With her daughter's return, the crops once again grew, and the flowers blossomed across the world. And it was only during the third of the year when Persephone was away from her mother that crops didn't grow, and the harvest came to a dismal stop. You may think that this sounds like winter, and you're not wrong. This myth is, in part, an etiological myth, meant to explain the origin of something real, in this case, the seasons and the agricultural cycle. It is no wonder that this myth has made it through history. It serves to tell multiple stories and experiences from motherhood and loss to the creation of the seasons. The Homeric hymn to Demeter is set for the most part in Eleusis, where Demeter attempts to replace her daughter and where her rights will ultimately be established. Located to the northwest of Athens in Attica, Eleusis was well known for its yearly celebration of Demeter and Persephone, who was also called Kore, or Maiden. This celebration was centered on the famous mystery cult devoted to the two goddesses, called the Eleusinian Mysteries after their location. And while the event itself was quite well-known and popular in the historical period, we don't know much about what took place during the most intimate parts of the festival because participants were forbidden to reveal any part of it. But that's not why it's called a mystery cult. And it's important to understand exactly what the two words in the phrase mystery cult mean, since neither of them are the same as today's conventional definitions. Cult simply means established religious ritual or worship of a god or goddess. As for the word mystery, it actually comes from the Greek word for initiation. Not just anyone could participate fully, and one had to be inducted with training to learn the ropes before that person could participate in all the rituals. But one was forbidden to speak about the most important and secret of the rites. And membership had its perks. It was thought that those initiated would be given benefits both on earth and in the hereafter. At the end of the poem, after Demeter has recovered her daughter, she gives instructions to the people of Eleusis concerning her cult. So spoke she, and Demeter of the fair garland obeyed. Speedily she sent up the grain from the rich soil, and the wide earther was heavy with leaves and flowers. She hastened, and showed the care of her rights to kings, Triptolemus and Diocles, the charioteer, and mighty Eumolpus and Calais, the leader of the people. She taught her fine mysteries, holy mysteries, that none may violate or search into or noise abroad, for the great curse from the gods restrains the voice. Happy is her among mortal men who has beheld these things, and he who is uninitiated and has no lot in them never has an equal lot in death beneath the murky gloom. This is another etiological myth, one that explains the creation of something in existence and it creates a direct mythical parallel that explains and strengthens the significance of Eleusis in the Eleusinian Mysteries. This direct myth-to-place relationship was important in the ancient world because it fueled a strong connection between the mortal, terrestrial world and the immortal, celestial world. But it does more than that. It connects the fertility of the earth with the celebration of Demeter and Kore in Eleusis. The rites of the Eleusinian Mysteries are bound up in the idea of prosperity for the Earth's abundance and for individual success.
but it's now time to take stock and see what we've learned. Although the hymn's ultimate result is the establishment of an important religious cult, the hymn to Demeter deals with much more than that. It tells us of the story of a mother and daughter and explores the natural bond between the two goddesses. And loss and grief aren't just a mortal issue. The gods deal with these two, offering a human side to these otherwise divine figures. Demeter's reaction is not so different from what we might feel and do when we lose something important to us. And although Demeter is a goddess, she is also a mother. Gods often make mistakes and serve to show lessons to mortals in the ancient world. They weren't meant to be perfect and are oftentimes far from it. But they often represent the most human of experiences. This episode was written and directed by Kenneth Barker, a double major in classics and psychology. And our sound engineer, as always, is the fabulous Samantha Kutsia. Great thanks also go to Julia Summer and A.J. O'Neill, our voice actors who read the passages from the Homeric Hymn to Demeter. And as always, our theme music is Brooklyn Tea by the incredible musician Jared Sims. That's Sims with one M. You should go listen to and buy his music. This has been the Greek Myth Files, signing off for just a little while. See you next time 